Very good morning. It is my talk on RTHK. This is James Ross. And time to welcome our guest to the uh, programme, Andrew Ferris, first of all, CEO of Ecognosis Advisory, our regular on a Friday morning. Good morning, Andrew. Good morning. Good morning. And let's say good morning to Kyle Rother, uh, Senior Market Analyst at Capital.com. Uh, good morning, Kyle. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, nice to have you both on, and uh, I guess let's start with a look back on the week. Let's look back on the last couple of weeks at uh, in the stock market and uh, that Santa Claus rally. Um, Kyle, uh, has it been as expected? Would you say? Well, I think it certainly fits historical patterns of Santa rallies, which are generally driven by policy uh, expectations around Fed, in particular, either an easing cycle or, or a pause in, in rate hikes. Um, expected going forward. So, I mean, really, we've seen just one big momentum trade take hold over the last few weeks, really, on the basis that we'll get the sort of, well, potentially six rate cuts that's been priced into interest rate markets right now in the United States for next year. Uh, it could certainly be a fatal conceit uh, because, as we've seen over the last few weeks, the data remains reasonably robust, but the market seems to be pricing the soft landing, certainly pricing that the Fed should lower rates as inflation eases throughout the year. Um, and it's driving that flow back into equities now. So certainly fitting historical patterns and, and um, you know, certainly looking uh, fairly robust despite perhaps some uncertainty in the horizon. Andrew, you know, obviously we're seeing some of the Western uh, stock markets uh, at uh, highs at this time, but uh, that's not the case around the world, is it? Um, I'm sorry, I didn't, I didn't quite... Catch, catch your last question. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, we, we've seen, obviously, the Western uh, stock markets uh, boosting uh, towards the end of the year, um, you know, some up uh, 20 30% uh, around the world. But, um, you know, in, in parts of Asia, that, that's not the case, right? Some of the markets are con- considerably down. Well, absolutely. And not only that, I think it... it I'm sorry, James, I'm having an echo on my line. I, ca- I can hear me continuously. Okay, maybe we'll uh, we'll give you a call back uh, in that case. Sorry about this. No worries, um, uh, Kyle. We'll uh, come back to you, and uh, you know, let's let's talk about this uh, end of the year uh, in Western markets versus uh, how stock markets are performing uh, in in Asia, Hong Kong, of course, uh, not doing so well, uh, and China, but Japan is up. What do you What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, I think that kind of story uh, China, uh, in, in China, or in particular you could call it sort of the, the unanswered China question, is really keeping um, sentiment quite dour in, in the region. I mean, obviously we've seen pockets of strong performance, and you alluded to, to Japan before, but other emerging markets have done reasonably well. India seems to be capturing a lot of the flows uh, away from China. But uh, there remains this sort of lingering doubt about the investability of China going forward, despite what looks like incredibly oversold conditions and, and very attractive valuations. I think that's more uh, a structural and long-term story for investors, despite, you know, clearly uh, some sort of green signals in terms of, again, technicals and fundamentals. So um, it's obviously been a difficult uh, year for for the region. There's the risk that could persist into the new year. And, and again, it remains that unanswered China question as, as to why that's, uh, or to explain the, the, the dynamic. I mean, we're hearing from the FT that uh, uh, nine tenths of foreign investment into China's stock market this year has been uh, has been pulled out. Um, uh, that doesn't uh, that doesn't bode well, does it, uh, Kyle? No, and it speaks, I think, to some structural issues in particular. One issue that I don't think is being spoken about enough, which is ongoing country risk in China. I think the situation with the change to game, uh, game rules and uh, the impact on ten cent illustrates that perhaps a little bit of a market problem in a way is that. 
uh, rightly or wrongly, and again, there's merits from a social policy for, for taking these um, uh, positions, is that the Chinese government uh, has a, uh, an approach politically in, reg- in a regulatory sense that investors are a little bit nervous about, and then you overlay that with the geopolitical risks as well of, of greater um, you know, political polarisation and decoupling between the US and China. I think what you spoke to just then and, and will continue to be a dynamic is the concerns of putting money to work in China, especially um, you know, real money, long, long-term money, uh, is is exceedingly risky. Uh, that opens up opportunities for, for nimble traders, particularly on the retail side of things, and, and those who can move a little bit quicker and in shorter timeframes to again capture oversold technicals and uh, also uh, relatively, um, well, historically attractive valuations. Uh, but again, I think it speaks to some of these structural issues in China, um, and that could depress multiples into the future, uh, well into the future. Andrew, I think we've got you back now. Um, the Shanghai stock market, uh, you know, not doing so well this year. The uh, Obviously here in Hong Kong, uh, things not so good. Uh, you know, the, the, the happy flavour around the world of, say, New York and Europe uh, stock markets not reflected in this part of the world, is it? Absolutely. And not, not only that, but we have very strange peculiarities here. We have the, the two major Chinese markets, that's Hong Kong and uh, China, are are some of the worst performers. Now, Taiwan, that is supposed to be suffering, is actually the best performer in Asia, full stop. 27% year-to-date in years other terms. And also, this is followed very closely by Kospi, by South Korea, which is supposed also to suffer because of the textbook performance to China. So in other words, we're having two economies that are closely related to China, and in the case of Taiwan, politically, in inverted commas, closely related to China, and they're doing extremely well, whereas China is not. That's, that's, uh, I'm, I'm still trying to work through this, why this is, why this is, why this is the case. And also, uh, Centex, India, is doing also very, very well indeed. But Singapore, Malaysia, and, Taiwan, and Thailand are not. Yeah, well, in, in, uh, indeed, uh, indeed, uh, um, indeed, ask India's me, stock. Well, indeed, India's stock market, uh, you know, is hitting record highs, isn't it? The market values of uh, companies listed uh, there crossed, I think, uh, four trillion dollars in uh, in late November, and it's now overtaken um, Hong Kong as uh, the seventh largest exchange in the world. So, is, is that um, is that going to be the way going forward? Is that a blip, or is it? Uh, is it really strong now, do you think, Andrew? Um, I'm afraid in the case of India, I'm still looking for a key story, either in terms of policy or in terms of a pivotal twist. And uh, all I see, actually, it has been a conservative but very steady Reserve Bank of India. And uh, in the last year, including also the last budget, no major policy incentives. So it is, of course, an enormous economy, and uh, perhaps we should be looking much more on its domestic performance as opposed to the way in which we're looking at China, which is its external performance. Now, of course, um, the other market in uh, Asia, which we've uh, been keeping quite an eye on this year and has been doing pretty well as well, is Japan. Uh, Kyle, you have thoughts on on Japan. Uh, You know, there's lots of talk about uh, interest rates going up there uh, now uh, from the BOJ, maybe uh, in the next few months. Uh, What what are your thoughts on the market in Japan? I think equities look pretty richly valued here, especially given that we could be at a bit of a turning point in the global economic cycle. I mean, um, if you do look at uh, rates markets at the moment and rates futures, you're more or less seeing it, call it 50-50 uh, probability that we'll see 
the Bank of Japan lifts interest rates out of negative settings at a time in which most other central banks around the world are going to be cutting interest rates, which would be an extraordinary state of affairs if we were to see uh, an open export-driven economy, globally sensitive like Japan, are raising rates at a time where everyone else is cutting. So I think the expectation that we'll see rate hikes from, from Japan is, is exceedingly unlikely. The other dynamic to add to that too is the, the appreciating yen, and I think that has been a large part of the story as to why we've seen um, our performance in the Nikkei, for example, uh, and it's kind of bullishness. It's almost sort of uh, one-sided trade now in, in Japanese equities. So my view is that Japan looks quite um, richly valued here and, and is probably prone to some downside. Now we've probably seen the peak in the cycle, and I have uh, the very strong belief, too, that uh, it's very unlikely we'll see that the Bank of Japan tightening policy um, next year with, with global growth weakening. There seems to be a level of perhaps magical thinking there from the BOJ that will be able to achieve that. So um, the yen looks like a, a, a terrific trade for a currency trader, but the, the, the Nikkei itself looks, for me, um, again, uh, quite, quite richly value on top of this cycle. Andrew, um, things in Japan tend to get done differently, or so it seems. Uh, sometimes they uh, go against the norm. What's your outlook for Japan at the moment? Um, I'm still puzzled about uh, the capacity of Japan to maintain an incredibly low interest rate policy at the time that its inflation has significantly accelerated, except to take the word of the Bank of Japan that uh, this is a kind of a year-on-year effect or it is an effect that is driven not by increases in wages. In other words, they want to see domestic aspects pushing up uh, the the inflation rate. Now, they have been playing quite a lot with, yes, we will, no, we won't increase uh, interest rates. And to that extent, I don't want to be trapped with the same thing, with the same nonsense. But for effectively one year, we were all trying to guess when the Fed will cut. And uh, effectively, it became a a non-issue at the end, okay, because people simply got bored, went, and the markets decided that Fed is going to cut, except they don't know when, but it will. And that explains, of course, why the the S&P is is rising. I'm afraid I'm still biting my tongue quietly, because it all takes for the Fed to say, perhaps we're going to delay a little bit uh, the cut, and you'll see the the S&P collapse. You know, I'm not, I, 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 I don't take it that... It has all finished now, and it's all signed in and delivered. Uh, I guess we'll see, we shall see. Uh, and let's just turn to one market uh, which we haven't mentioned in this round, and that's Australia. Uh, Carl is based uh, in uh, Australia. Carl, what's your uh, immediate outlook for the Australian market? How, how are things performing? Uh, very, very well. Uh, almost surprisingly well. We're looking at a uh, potential 8% return to just the ATX 200 this year, and we've got iron ore miners at um, you know effectively record highs at the moment. So. Um, all things look well. It, it really does rely on China recovering next year. Um, if we don't get that, I think Australian equities look um, a little bit rich here. Um, however, I mean, it really does rely on um, stronger stimulus out of China. If we do get that, that might um, be sort of the, the redemptive factor to, to drive equities higher. But, but for now, we don't iron ore at $140 in China's economy uh, where it is and mine is at record highs. Um, it, it, it's looking as though as good a year as this has been, surprisingly. Uh, that perhaps we might still be rather range-bound going into next year as well. Positive or negative generally around the world about next year? Will there be a U.S. recession, Carl? Uh, I have the belief that we'll see a U.S. recession at some point next year, albeit rather mild. Um, and, uh, well, we'll have to see markets correct for that because if you look at earnings estimates, that uh, doesn't seem to be in the price at the moment. And, uh, Andrew, uh, your brief thoughts on the 2024 positive, negative U.S. recession? 
first, recession. The recession means something very specific, and I never use this uh, four-letter word <laughs> without with a bit of advice. Recession is two quarters, quarter on quarter, back-to-back negative growth. That we're not going to get, but that's purely technical. Mm. If you are actually, if we actually mean that uh, the GDP growth is going to decelerate, of course it will. But that's not that's not a recession. <laughs> so positive so or negative I, I about, about, about next year? Your question. So no, I'm basically cautious and a little bit negative, precisely because I don't have a global thing to tell you. <laughs> the four major economies are moving into completely different directions. Well, let's see how it performs. Uh, We'll come back and talk to you, Andrew, in uh, 2024. Andrew Ferris uh, is uh, CEO of eCognosis Advisory. And thank you also to Carl Rodder, uh, Senior Market Analyst at uh, Capital.com.